We, uh, we just last week started a short series on prayer. Uh, I, I shared a little bit last week on how I feel like God is stirring something inside of us. Over the last um, year or so, we've been talking a lot about community and, and the way we can kind of invest in one another and, and share in this life together of faith, um, share in all kinds of cool experiences together, um, and, and really grow as a community uh, and as a group of disciples. And so that's sort of been something of a focus for us over the last year. And I feel like as we head into something of a new season, it feels like one of the things that's been coming out of my conversations with people and uh, one of the things that's been uh, sort of coming to the front, uh, to the presence of God more and growing in our understanding of that a little bit more. And so over, uh, over last week and this week and next week, we're just exploring this a little bit and just beginning to push up uh, against this whole thing of prayer and trying to unpack it a little bit. Um, I wanted it to be a really uh, gospel-focused series. I wanted to be really pressing into those four gospels and looking at the prayer life of Jesus and what it unlocks for us and what it invites us towards. And so if you missed last week's message, I would recommend checking it out um, on our website or even listen to the sermon that I gave this morning because I did something of like something of a hybrid sermon this morning uh, in our morning congregation uh, where we just explored this whole thing of the prayer life of Jesus. And that when we, uh, when we respond to the invitation of Jesus, we're, uh, we can discover a new way of investing and growing in intimacy with God. And that in, in investing in that intimacy, we continue to connect with and embody the mission of Jesus, um, which is to see other people know the intimacy that Jesus had and to experience the intimacy that Jesus had with the Father and to grow in that as well. And so there is this desire that we see that rises out of the heart of Jesus for each and every person to know the Father intimately, vulnerably, um, humbly, um, off like or like full of awe and full of reverence and full of love. And so there's this special thing that we're invited towards. And so that's what we looked at last week a little bit. And um, this week, what I wanted to do was focus on the kingdom of God. So it's a really hard thing to talk about all the different types of prayer, but, um, but we want to explore this, this area of the kingdom of God because it's incredibly important to um, not just all of Christianity, but for us as a vineyard church, like we, we've really pinned ourselves down as being kingdom people. We love um, kingdom theology. We love being about the kingdom of God. God, and we see it as being uh, one of the absolute central themes of the Gospels. And so it's important for us, if we're going to talk about prayer, to unpack this thing of the kingdom and to grow in our understanding of it a little bit. Um, so with that in mind, I'm just going to pray and then uh, we'll jump into it. So Heavenly Father, we, we invite you. We invite your presence to come and be with us right now. Would you come and rest on the heart of each and every one of us here? And would you, would you continue to stir us towards prayer in in new and wonderful ways, Lord. And Lord, as we, as we go into the Gospels this evening, Lord, would you, would you open up those stories to us? Would we see them in a whole new light? Would we know something more of you, more of your kingdom? Would we desire your kingdom more uh, in our lives? Would we desire more of you in our lives, more of your presence in our lives? Help, uh, help us to yearn for a more wonderful prayer life and intimacy with you, Lord. Amen. Matthew 9.35 says this, uh, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. This 
is really at the core of like everything Jesus does. And I think I've said this before, but you know, Jesus wasn't really going around from town to town saying to people, hey, I'm about to die on a cross and that's gonna be for your sins and you're all gonna be forgiven. If he had said that in first century Israel, that would have been very weird. People would not have understand what he was talking about and he would have just been written off as being this, this weird teacher. Now, the thing that got people was this preaching about the kingdom you see, the uh, first century Israelites were, were living under Roman oppression and they were looking for a Messiah, someone who would come and overthrow the Roman Empire and take back Jerusalem, take back Israel for them. And this person was gonna be a strong sort of king type person. They were gonna win some sort of war, some sort of battle. They were gonna overthrow the empire through military might. That's what they were looking for. And so what Jesus does is he comes and he preaches this message of subversive love, this radical agenda of transforming the world around you through an encounter with genuine love and grace. That through humility and through service of the other and through sharing in all things together, there is going to be this incredible transformation that takes place and that it's going to be a kingdom that's not just going to rule over God's chosen people, Israel, but this kingdom is going to bring about a rule and a reign over every single person through all the world. The Samaritans will be converted. The Gentiles will be converted. The Romans will be converted. They're all going to experience the kingdom of God. This is the message that he was preaching. It annoyed the heck out of the Pharisees. It annoyed the heck out of a lot of people. But, but people were drawn to it and captivated by it. And what's fascinating is as we begin to look at the kingdom tonight, and we look at that first verse, Matthew 9.35, He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom and he's healing every disease and every affliction. There's something about the kingdom being preached and healing happening. Those two th things seem to go together in the gospels. Wherever he's going around, he's preaching and wherever he's going around, he's healing people. There are all of these individual cases of him talking about the kingdom and then people who are blind being able to see and people who are sick no longer being sick, people who have been sick for years and years, people who can't walk being suddenly being able to walk. There is this incredible restoration that takes place when Jesus is going about preaching the kingdom. So for us, this kingdom, uh, this kingdom of God thing is incredibly important for us as a church. And, and we think it's a really valuable theological thing to understand. So what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Because I think a lot of us really struggle to understand what that means. Um, <clears throat> so there's a Greek word uh, that comes through time and time again. If, you, if you're looking through the Bible, it's the word aionos. Right? And it means the age to come. The kingdom of God is a future reality where God's will has reign over everything. The kingdom of God is when what God wants to happen is happening. The kingdom of God is when the agenda of God is taking place in human history. You want a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like? Look at the original design we see in this picture of the Garden of Eden. Man walking in step with God, woman walking in step with God, having relationship with God and relationship with one another. 
And you know what's like existing in that picture of the Garden of Eden and in, in that, in that beautiful narrative? There is an incredible trust between man and woman and between man and God, woman and God. There is this, there is this synergy that exists, something divine, something beautiful that exists. And so everything that God does, if you, if you understand the whole story, everything that goes on as we move from the story of the fall and the story of Israel, and we, yeah, Matthew 8 verses 1 to 4. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. And finally, uh, reading from Luke 17, um, <clears throat> starting at verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. He's like walking around a lot, right? There's like a lot of walking going on. Um, <clears throat> And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Three random stories, right? Well, not totally random because I picked them, but three stories from the scriptures that testify to the healing power of the kingdom of God breaking through into human history. People who are broken, hurting, sick, cast out from society, healed and restored by an encounter with Jesus. And here's what's really interesting, okay? When you spend a lot of time reading the Gospels and looking at these different stories, you probably will begin to notice a few things come to the surface. And we'll see some of these similarities from these three, all right? You'll see two things come. Often, there is an, uh, an offer by Jesus of forgiveness. Or there is a desire by the people encountering Him to receive mercy or receive forgiveness from God. There is a recognition of Jesus as being divine, right? There is this recognition of Him as Lord and King. And there is a desire to receive something from Him. And what's interesting, even about that lepers one at the end, they ask for Jesus to have mercy. They don't say, will you heal us from leprosy? They say, Jesus, have mercy on us. And so what's really interesting in so many of the healing stories is that, is that there is a offer of forgiveness that happens first. You know, when the paralytic is brought before Jesus in that Matthew verse we looked at first, Jesus doesn't say, get up and walk first. What's the first thing he says? Your sins are forgiven. Forgiveness is one of the things that seems to happen in the gospel stories as part of the healing. And the other thing that's really interesting that we see is a, uh, a declaration of cleanliness, an acknowledgement that what was old and damaged and sick and broken is now made new again. So in that second scripture I read, you would have noticed Jesus says, go to the, go to the priest and show him. 
If you had leprosy in first century Israel, you were cast out. This is why those 10 lepers, it says that they yelled to Jesus from a distance, right? Because they, you're not allowed to approach other people. Heavily contagious. Well, <laughs> leprosy, you know? Uh, and so you weren't allowed to approach other people. And so what they would do is if they were somehow miraculously healed because it wasn't something you just recovered from, right? It, um, <clears throat> they would need to go to the priest and be declared clean, be declared healthy so that they could assimilate back into society. So what you see come through in the stories of healing is that there is often an, uh, an offer of forgiveness and there is often a declaration of, of cleanliness. There is a, a moment of reconciliation and a moment of restoration. I've got a, um, I think I've got a little diagram here. This is what it looks like when the kingdom of God breaks through. I use the words... Um, I always use the words right standing because what you see in the Gospels is a restoration to right standing with God and right standing with people. When we look at the picture for humanity painted in the first two chapters of the Bible, people walk in step with God and they walk in step with one another and they enjoy this beautiful um, divine reflection relationship. And so these moments of the kingdom breaking through in the Gospels is a picture of this, uh, as some sort of like vertical restoration and reconciliation to God. And that moment of being declared clean, that acknowledgement that you were sick, but now you're fixed, is a moment of social reconciliation and social restoration. You know, there's that story, and I think I've spilled the crowd, and there's this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, and she says, man, if I can just get through the crowd, if I can just push through, and if I can just touch the hem of Jesus' robe, I know I will be healed. Like this incredible faith, right? But like, I just know that. And so Jesus has this moment. I don't think anywhere else in the Gospels you, you hear Jesus say, I felt some power leave my body. You know, like, it's a kind of a strange statement, but like, I felt some power leave my body. And then what does he do? He, gets, he calls her out. He says, you know, who touched me? And this woman sort of stands up and she goes, it is I. And he says before, because it says in that story that people are all around him, pressing up against him, right up against, you know, everyone's touching him, right? Disciples are like, how could you possibly know that that happened, Jesus? Because everyone's pressing up against you. And Jesus says, no, 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 something happened. And so in front of this giant crowd, what does he declare? Your faith has made you well, Right? If, you, if you've been bleeding for 12 years as a woman in first century Israel, you are cast out. You are no good to your family. You are no good at being able to uh, extend the lineage and the legacy of your family before you. You are cast out. You are not valuable. What does Jesus say? You are made well. What is that moment? It's a moment of social restoration and reconciliation. This is what the kingdom of God does. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what it achieves. The kingdom of God breaking through. I mean, the, the mark of it is the holistic restoration of people. 
when people discover connection again with God, discover intimacy with God, and when they have relationship again with other people, this is, this is what the kingdom sets out to achieve. This is the will and desire of God for our lives. This is what we're invited into. Holistic restoration is the mark of the kingdom. And so what does that look like now? Because I think sometimes it's a bit tricky because we, we, we hear stories of people being healed and um, <clears throat> we hear stories of people not being healed and how that affects people's faith in like a negative way. So what's the answer? Why is it that it seemed like there were these moments in the Gospels and why does it seem like there are moments in our lives but sometimes when we really want it, those things don't happen? Like why is that a thing? I've thought a lot about this. I've thought a lot about this over the years. Like having, having been someone who's prayed, like prayed for people who are really sick to not, to not die and see them still pass away. Like, you know, like, like, these are things that I'm sure some of us have had to, like, walk through. And it's all well and good to be like, oh, well, it's God's plan, but it's like, man, like, that's just never really been an answer that satisfied me. I'm not saying, like, I have to figure it all out, but, but really, like, what's going on? So here's the closest thing I've, here's the closest thing I thought, okay? This is the closest thing I can come to. Sometimes those things don't happen in our world because if you're sick in Auckland, New Zealand, like you're not cast out. Your family doesn't ditch you. You don't become a social outcast. Do you know where you still become a social outcast? In some other parts of the world. And you know, when you, have, who's ever gone on a mission trip, right? And you go on a mission trip and you pray and you like see these things happen that you would never see happen before. Has anyone done that? Like... Yeah, right. like I've been to Guatemala and I've just seen people like some crazy stuff go down. And I'm like, that would never happen at Shaw Vineyard Church. Not because there's like no faith for it or anything like that, but just because it's like, like these are people who, if they are disabled, they cannot contribute to their community and their community shuns them. So the healing is something that needs to happen. It restores people socially as well. That's like the closest answer I've really ever come to for understanding, understanding why those things don't happen. Because I don't think it's as simple as saying like, well, your faith isn't strong enough. Well, you didn't believe hard enough. I, yeah, that just doesn't, that just doesn't sit well to, to put the healing of someone entirely on your shoulders or on my shoulders. It's like, man, like, no, we're... We're people who look for the kingdom of God breaking through and we're looking to respond to what God is doing and we're looking to identify what God is doing. So that's the closest thing like I've, I've come to understanding. And, and so sometimes when we sit with people or when we pray with people, our goal shouldn't necessarily to be to just heal them physically, but we should be looking for, looking for the point of restoration. Sometimes restoration isn't just the physical thing. Sometimes it's a deep emotional thing. Like sometimes you can you can be with someone who's like got a got a messed up ankle or something or a messed up leg and they've had it for years. But if if they feel like left out of a community, if they feel like they've got no family and friends, what do you think is the thing they want prayer for? What is the thing you think that they want to feel? 
Well, you know what often happens in church is people have been in church for a really long time and they feel like God's distant and God doesn't love them and they, and they ask for prayer and we invite the kingdom to come. Do you think we're asking for like a physical healing in that space? Or are we, or are we asking for a fresh pouring out of God's love and grace and an encounter in their lives? Sometimes we pray for the physical healing. And like, I can't, I can't even back this up 100% because I remember, I remember Vic saying to me once, but what if God just heals because he loves you? And I was like, well, that, <laughs> like, you know, like it just gave me a little, little fry on the old brain. Like I was like, I was like, no, like it's just, the, it's just holistic restoration. And then like, and then someone prayed for my ankle and it like felt better. And I was like, well, maybe God loves me. Yeah, <laughs> like, so this isn't like an exact science, but, but there is something significant when we understand that, that praying for the kingdom to come and break through, what we're praying for is a moment of restoration and, and reconciliation. That whatever we're praying for, it, we're moving towards uh, seeing something re- return to what it was always meant to be or unlocking what something was always meant to be, discovering who we were always meant to be in God. That's what happens when the kingdom comes and breaks through into our life. And so as we draw to like just a bit of a close, I just have a few final thoughts, okay? Um, I want to just talk a little bit about what I think the kingdom of God looks like now, but also like not yet. So the first thing is this, is that like understanding the kingdom or thinking about the kingdom, because I'm not sure we can fully wrap our heads around it, but understanding it is it's a radical theology. Like when we... When we look at the words and teachings of Jesus and, and he says the kingdom of God is at hand, or he says in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God, and we subscribe to that. We look for it. Like we're looking to do the radical. We're looking to do the extreme. That means in every situation when we look to pray for someone, we're standing before them with an, a sense of earnest and confidence and we're saying, how can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? Um, we're going to ask the kingdom of God to like come right now and maybe that's going to feel really like a very physical thing or a very like internal or introspective thing or whatever. But we're going like, to believe that the kingdom's going to break through right here, right now. We are going to believe for that because we believe the kingdom of God is at hand. That's a radical theology. That's a now theology. The kingdom of God is at hand. But also, despite it being a radical theology, it's also a safe theology. This not yet. I sort of briefly touched on it before, but you know, you being healed or you experiencing healing in your life, it's never on your faith alone. And like, like we would never say in this church, oh, that thing didn't happen because you didn't pray hard enough or because you didn't have enough faith. Because I just don't think that's consistent with like the heart of Scripture. Jesus uh, in John 5.19 says this, I can only do what I see the Father doing. In the Lord's Prayer, like we spoke last week, right? Lord, let you, would your kingdom come and would your will be done? So we're looking to respond to the activity of God. We're looking to identify what it is that he's doing and operate and function in that. And if something doesn't happen, that's okay because it's a not yet. That future reality is not now. It's something that will come to pass, something that will happen, but it's safe. It gives us, a, it gives us an understanding of, uh, of how things can happen and how they cannot happen. It's a safe theology. And finally, at all times, now and not yet, of all times, the kingdom of God is a loving theology. 
And when we pray and we invite the kingdom, it's like the worst thing that could ever happen is that you will feel loved by the people around you and you will feel loved by God. Because when you understand that reconciliation and restoration lie at the heart of the kingdom agenda, then you embody restoration and reconciliation in the way you pray for someone and in the way you are being prayed for. And what that looks like is love. What it looks like is care and sharing. It looks like a kind of intimacy. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. And the kingdom of God is a loving theology. It's a radical, safe, loving theology where we're drawn deeper and deeper into the heart of God. So I want to invite you to stand. And it's really hard to talk about the kingdom of God without busting out a bunch of like really nerdy diagrams, which I like told myself not to do this time. <laughs> so I, I hope you guys are with me and, you're, and you've kind of tracked with me a little bit because it is quite a big thing and a little bit complex to talk about, but, but it's also a really beautiful thing to practice. And so, um, so here's, here's what I want to ask that we do. Is that if you, if you feel comfortable, would you grab a couple people and, and like just go off into a different corner of the room and just pray for one another? Just, um, just surround each other with love. Ask each other, what, is, what does restoration and reconciliation look like in this moment? What does it mean if we are to ask the kingdom to come in your life? What does it look like? What does it look like for you to move towards right standing with God and right standing with people? Like what, what's their need? What's the itch? What's the, what's the pain point in that? And how can we invite God into it? That's how I want to finish tonight. And if you aren't comfortable doing that, that's fine because there's spring rolls in the cafe. And that's delicious. So you can just sort of, so what we'll do is like, we'll all close our eyes and if, um, and we're just going to spend just a couple moments just waiting and and then we'll just move. And there's no pressure for anyone to, to stick in here. But this, this just feels like it's a good thing to do, to just pray for one another. So why don't we close our eyes? I'm going to pray. And then you guys can grab some people and move into groups uh, or move to the bowl of spring rolls out the back. So Heavenly Father, this, this kingdom thing is a, it's a messy complex, strange thing, but it's also incredibly beautiful. And we recognize, Lord, that when we pray for your kingdom to break through, we're, we are looking for your will to meet us where we're at, to connect with us beautifully, wonderfully, lovingly, graciously. Man, like, I, I don't know if this is you, like, maybe put your hand on your heart or put your hand in the air or something, but it's like, man, I, I want to be a person of your kingdom. I want to be a person who, who longs for the things of your kingdom. Who longs to see your love break through into every corner of this world. I want to be a person who's about that. I want to find my place in that. So we ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. 
Thank you, Lord. So why don't you just grab, if you're comfortable, grab some people. And there's like a lot of room here. Just just go find a corner um, and pray with people. It can be really simple. Just ask for more, more of God's love or whatever. But just ask each other how you guys can pray. So let's push chairs out the way. Let's let's make some movement happen. Yeah. And if you want to sneak outside, that's cool as well. And I won't wrap up after this. This will be sort of the most formal end. And uh, yeah, and just as we're ready, we'll all just sneak out there and enjoy hanging out. Love you guys.